welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, mother of dragons, queen of burnout and sass, and right now the keeper of the Amazon account, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. Today's guest is a really special one. She's not a physician, so it's always great to have a different, you know, perspective on a different side of things. So I'm talking with Amanda Layden. She's passionate about women's health and changing the medical system in order to improve research. She believes women and their pain should be taken care of and to create equality and access for all women and non-binary conforming folks. She is on a mission to highlight women's stories, to share advice from experts, and to stop the suffering at every step in the healthcare journey. Amanda's going to share her story today about being in pain for years with adenomyosis and how it didn't get quite a great treatment plan, to be perfectly honest. So she shares from that perspective today. And I also ask her some questions on, as physicians, what can we do better today? So join us in our conversation. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda Layden. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and chat with you and your audience. Yeah. So tell the people out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself and the magic you put into the world. Yeah. So I am a CEO and co-founder. I also run a podcast and an organization called Period to Pause, where we have conversations about women's and gender nonconforming healthcare from period to menopause and everything in between. Every, <laughs> everything in between. It's a little early, my time. And so, really, what we want people to do is be able to know how to advocate for themselves, to use their voices, and to create change in the medical system and in a system that really wasn't set up for them to begin with, but how they really go about navigating that, particularly if they have a disease or, you know, something that happens to them. And so we're really here as kind of Sherpas or guides to help folks to be able to find their voices again. I love that so much. And how did you get this started? Well, this was really born out of my own personal story. I went through years and years and years of being undiagnosed with a disease and, you know, it was really wreaking havoc on my body. It's a disease called adenomyosis, which is a cousin of endometriosis. And a lot of people haven't heard of it because it's, well, just simply not talked about enough and there's not enough research about it. And so really what adeno does is it takes over the muscle lining uh, of your uterus. So the walls of your uterus, extremely painful periods embarrassing periods and, you know, just really going through a chronic disease for many years. Fast forward several years, I was uh, trying to get pregnant and just having miscarriages and then went through rounds and rounds of IVF, which if you know anything about adeno, that's like adding water to weeds. So really made the adeno worse. And at this point I still was undiagnosed. Finally had my final uh, miscarriage and the doctor was like, wait a second, you complain about your periods all the time. You, you know, your uterus is too big for how far along you were in your pregnancy and had this blood clotting thing. Like there's a couple things going on that just don't make sense. And finally I got diagnosed. And so by that point, my adenomyosis was so diffused that there was nothing they could do about it other than the solution is to remove your uterus. 
And so I got so frustrated (laughs) with like, wait a second, why aren't we listening to women? I was just told for so many years, like you just have bad periods. And I'd be like, well, hang on. I mean, vomiting, like bleeding through my clothes, like every woman's going through this. Oh yeah. You just have bad periods. Nope. There's no test that we can do to help you. So really what sparked my fire was that I went into my two-week post-op for my hysterectomy last December. And so about a year ago, and my husband asked the doctor, like, why didn't Amanda uh, ever get diagnosed? Like all those rounds of IVF when clearly we can, they could see the adenomyosis. And my doctor laughed and said, you know, it wasn't in their interest. You're a money-making machine for them. So that was infuriating. And, you know, I almost lost my life because of it. Like my disease was that bad. And I was just like, wow, this is what we're willing to do. And we really need to take a step back and look at the holistic medical system and also equip doctors, nurses, practitioners to have more empathy with their patients and also equip patients to really fight for themselves and to start talking about these things, particularly with the female body and gender non-conforming folks that we just don't talk about enough. Yeah, I think it's still feels to a lot of doctors cutting edge, but yet it's not. I was just talking to someone the other day about female bodies and side effects. You know, I'm a family medicine, addiction medicine doc. And I'm like, you know, like, this is just my antiquated data, but this is what I see. And it's so interesting still when we're doing trial work, you know, it's just, it's just super interesting. It, it was, it's been like years. It's like, we're afraid of u- the uterus and a potential fetus and all the things when we're studying, but like hashtag that's real life. Yeah. And hashtag we weren't studying the clitoris until like 1998. <laughs> like, I mean, like how do we, how can, and it's no fault of the doctors that are going through the system, right? I mean, I think there's people that are coming through the system that are like, wait a second, hang on. I'm a female and I have a clitoris. So why aren't we talking about that in medical school? And how am I supposed to treat my patients when we're just ignoring a body part? And so I think there's a lot of change that's happening. There's still a lot of layers to peel back. And I feel like as women, you know, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. I grew up in Western society. You know, we were told not to advocate for ourselves. We're told to be quiet and uh, not have conversations about what our body's doing a lot. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic household and, you know, there's a lot of shame that comes with talking about your periods, uh, orgasm, <laughs> um, you know, anything to do with your body and the female sexuality. And then that just translates to me across society. And so hopefully as we start to have more of these conversations, I don't even want to say normalize that they get normalized because I don't think there's a normal, like we just need to blow the doors off of certain things and allow women and gender non-conforming folks to have a safe space to talk about everything to do with their humanity. Absolutely. And just so the audience knows, we're talking on election day right now. So oh, we, we don't are. know the results yet. This will <laughs> launch after it. But uh, God, this year's been a hard one. It's been a really hard year with everything that's happened. And so you are talking to a room full of female physicians primarily. I have some nurses, I have some pharmacists, some nurse practitioners, PAs, a lot of medical folks are chiming in to doctor me first. And I want to hit on two things that you've said, our perceptions on patients and people who we take care of and our empathy, because I feel Mm. like those are two things that we all could walk away with a little bit more. 
What do you think sitting from your perspective and having a room full of us actively listening to you right now, what can we do to help with how we bring in our biases and our perceptions into encounters? Mm -hmm. Question everything. I mean, you know, really, honestly, the system was the system that doctors, I believe, are coming through still to this day or nurses, other practitioners was built for men by men. And so what does that mean? That means that sometimes the textbooks are outdated. Sometimes the conversations aren't up to date. And I think, you know, as much as you want to stay within the system because you firmly believe in what you're doing, and I honor all people that come into the medical space for doing what you do, because I know that you come with a care first attitude, I would just say also question things because just because they've been that way for X amount of years doesn't mean that that should be the way they are going forward. And, you know, there's a lot of resources out there, particularly for folks in the medical space to start to examine their biases. I interviewed a nurse practitioner on uh, my podcast, and she really helps to go out and educate folks of saying like, you know, if you have somebody that comes from a certain cultural background, you know, fill in the blank of whatever that is, some of the advice that you've been taught to give them doesn't necessarily work because their culture doesn't believe in that. And, or, you know, there's certain foods that they might still eat, say for throughout a pregnancy that uh, Western medicine would say, Ooh, don't, don't be doing that to your baby. But it's just like kind of being educated, particularly around the populations that you serve, where you serve them. I think those are a couple of things that I think about. And it also comes from the patient side of me sitting there as a patient And coming in with a list of questions for my doctors and surgeons and other people I've seen throughout the years to say, but wait, why? And and I don't understand this. And you're using language that I don't understand because I, I didn't go to medical school. And so when you use language like whatever part of the body, and I don't understand that because I only know it by one term, it's really hard for me to understand what my next step should be and to be able to voice what I want for my own body. Yeah. And think about it. We're both speaking English. Can you imagine right. when you throw in the the language barrier? Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's a lot of lingo, a lot of jargon, right? And all of you, not all of you, but most of you who've gone through this kind of Western medical or other medical systems understand a lot of that. You understand the anatomy. I can't remember the last time I took an anatomy class. So, <laughs> you know, it's when, when terms are being thrown around, I have to kind of be like, wait, can you just, and I will say to my doctor, can you say this in plain English? And so she will. Uh, but, you know, I just also have to know that patients, when they're coming in and starting to ask questions, it's not always they're using Dr. Google. It's also that I think we're starting to say we need to kind of also take back our healthcare and we need you to join us and co-collaborate on what this looks like for our care. Yeah. in partnership, whenever I'm doing training, be it for a new employee or I've got students coming through my office, I think that's one of the things is really sitting down and making them listen and being like, mm-hmm. there's no rush here. Even though there's mm. so much time scarcity in offices, in ORs, in the hospital, like you said, like sitting down and asking, like, tell me more about that. Or mm-hmm. why do you think this is going on? I just did this yesterday in the office with a patient who came in and I've seen him a half a million times, but yet it was different 
And we were finally able to kind of get somewhere. And I think we may have cracked open what was really going on with him. But it's one of those. And that's why this podcast is called Dr. Me First, because if we don't take care of ourselves Mm -hmm. first, we don't have that curiosity. We do get sucked into the like, I have no time, so I have to rush through. Here's your pills. See you in three months. We have to be in a place where we ourselves are well enough so that we can take really good care and have the capacity to listen because listening takes effort. Yeah, I agree. And I think just with the pandemic, the past few years, we've seen both sides of the coin, which is the system's not set up for either patients or doctors, right? It's not set up for the wellness of the practitioners that are there to be of service to the patients that come in. And it doesn't allow them to, I mean, I've just, I I have some doctor friends as well. And I've just seen them suffer tremendous burnout over the past couple of years. And it's awful because of how they're being treated within their own hospital system or how they're being, the demands that are being put on them in terms of outside of the pandemic, outside of COVID, the demands that are being put on them with the frequency of how often they have to see patients. And so that's not serving either party. And you know, what I think or what I hope is going to happen in the upcoming years, it's going to take a while with privatization of hospitals and all that kind of stuff. But what I hope is going to happen is that we create a shift change that serves both the practitioners and the patients so that because, yeah, so that the doctors and nurses and everybody else feel good too, because I know I've seen it on their faces when they're in there and they get rushed out of the room because, you know, we're in the middle of having a conversation and somebody pulls them out of the room to go and see the next patient because it's been five minutes. Yeah. And that's not fair on you as doctors either. Yeah. I think, you know, I have a lot of friends. I've had people come on and talk on the podcast that are doing DPC and DPS, direct patient care and, mm-hmm. you know, um, primary care and specialty care. And I think it is really empowering for the provider, but it's also starting to show patients and consumers of healthcare, like you have a choice. Mm -hmm. No longer is your insurance going to say, oh yeah, this is tier one and better not go to the hospital across the street because we won't cover it. Bullshit. And, and, And I hope that we can continue to do that because we know that like monopolies aren't a good thing, especially right. in healthcare. So I'm glad that you're doing it from the patient side too. Let's talk about empathy. Cause mm. I think this is when I really know that somebody is burnt out when they're numb and they're just trying to get through their day. I think there's that. And I think there's part of it too. And I see a lot of empathy from my doctors and my nurse practitioners. To me, the biggest rub, I can, I can kind of share a story. So long story short, when I had to get my hysterectomy, it got canceled the day of uh, my surgery got canceled the first time. So the day of my surgery, because I have two small aneurysms at the base of my brain. And I wasn't told that I needed to get neuroclearance before I have a hysterectomy. So I'm sure the doctors listening know that when you have a hysterectomy, your head is below your heart. And so in my case, it was going to be below my heart for at least three hours. That's a big deal, right? So I had been talking to my doctor's office. I can't even tell you how many times the front desk staff, like her, her, her front office folks would get so irritated with me. And really, I just was wanting information because I wasn't getting it proactively. Uh, they would, they got to the point where they would just hang up the phone on me. Like they knew my voice, they knew my phone number. They would just hang up the phone on me. And it like, 
first of all, I'm going through something major, right? My doctor has told me she's so concerned about the size of my uterus that she thinks it's going to burst. And I could potentially, which obviously could lead to a lot of other things. So I'm an emergent case. I, I need to get in as quickly as possible. Couple this with now my surgery gets canceled. And like, I lost my shit, right? I mean, I'm like, I have talked to you every day, every day, your office every day for the past four weeks. Nobody once said I needed neuro clearance. And why are you just looking at my chart the morning of? So, which is another problem in and of itself. But anyway, I, I talked to my surgeon. I was like, have her call me now. So um, she called me and I said, you know, I love you and your empathy and your willingness to sit down with me. You're an amazing surgeon, no doubt about it, but your front of staff, like your, your staff sucks. I was like, you know, they're not nice to patients and it's not just me. I've seen their interaction. I've seen their interaction with you. So I think for me, it's even kind of like less about the doctors in some case, every doctor almost that I've encountered has had so much empathy and so much care and love and joy in their patients and in their jobs for me, it was, it was her team. And they said, it's so important that, you know, you have women coming into your office who are going through what I go through, loss of children, whatever diagnosis they're getting today, that these people show attention and care because at the end of the day, we're human beings. And yeah, is it annoying that we might call you every single day because you're not calling us? Probably. However, you also have to understand that we're going through something major and you need to also look at us with compassion and care. And so For me, that was kind of where I was like, we need to probably start equipping the entire system, like, you know, front front office staff, that kind of thing with empathy and care around the patients because they also signed up for that job. (laughs) It's, it's, I know it's annoying. I know it's annoying to deal with patients, but that's also your role. And so part of that is yes, you have to have advocacy for your patients. Sure. But you also need to couple that with some empathy because it's hard to hear you know, you're going through surgery, you're going to have to, we're concerned about your life right now. Like you might die if your head is, is below your heart for three hours. All of that is super stressful. And so just coming with the lens of like, we're all trying our best and yes, can we get a little snappy as patients? I'm sure. Absolutely. Can they get a little snappy? I'm sure. But if we just come at it with the lens of we're all human beings and this is all tough for all of us, I think it would just go a long way. Yeah. I think that's such a great reminder that we all are doing our best in that moment. And that might look different from day to day too, you know, as far as how you're showing up. I know through my organization, I have an FQHC. And so we do a lot of trauma-informed education. Mm -hmm. And so I even have like post-it notes that I will give to people sometimes you know, because somebody will run a note back and say, Dr. Wiseman, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'll be like, okay, wait a minute. It's not what is wrong with them. It's what has happened to them. And now they're showing up in this space. Because like you said, it wasn't just the like everyday phone calls. It was the, I've been in pain for decades. I've tried IVF and it's been a horrible experience. Mm -hmm. Now I'm trying to get the surgery to help. And you're telling me that my brain is going to explode. So it's like reminding that, that like everybody comes with a backstory And you don't have to swim in the swamp with them, but you do have to acknowledge like this fucking sucks and we're going to do the best we can. I think that's such an important reminder of what you said, which is, you know, one about the trauma informed training, but also about there's not something wrong with them because, you know, I feel like in our society, we've been taught that, oh, 
oh, they're coming to us because there's something wrong with them. And then you have to diagnose it. You have to triage, diagnose it real fast. Well, no. What if we kind of looked at it more in the, how do we look at this whole human being and, and look at something preventative if we can at that point in time? But you know, not everybody's broken that's coming into the system. And I also do love the fact that your folks are, or you know, you're surrounded by people who are trauma informed. I think that's ever more important. And okay, so since we're talking about election day, one of the things that I would be concerned about as a practitioner, and even with the organizations we work with, is around you're going to see a lot of women that are put into some very traumatic situations right now who are forced to have to have babies forced childbirth. And so how do people who are working within, you know, the medical system, how can they be informed and trained to really care for these women? I mean, there's going to be a lot, right? And it's because yeah, it's not all going to be happy. Like, oh, you're pregnant. No, it's going to be like, not. oh, fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you don't know under what circumstance. I yes. mean, And even in organizations, when we talk to them about putting policies in place for um, women, gender nonconforming folks, you know, it's also like really need to get some, some people in your organization that are trauma informed, because you could have women coming to you that are saying, uh, I need to cross a state line. And this, all of this is scary for me and traumatic for me. And that lives within the body and the somatic system, you know, like it's scary. It absolutely is. And it's just a great reminder. Thank you so much for sitting down. We're going to have to have more conversations because this has been so fun today. Give a plug for all the things you're doing and any upcoming events in the next couple months. Yes. So so I would love for people to go out and check the period to pause podcast out. The website is also www.periodtopause.com. You can find the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. It comes out twice a week and we really explore conversations with women in their stories, gender nonconforming folks in their stories, experts like yourself and also current affairs. And so would love for people to go out and listen to that between now and the end of the year. Do we have an event coming up? We just hosted a menopause event two weeks ago uh, for menopause awareness. We don't have anything else scheduled right now until the end of the year, but watch this space. And I'm sure we'll bring be bringing some communities together to talk about all of these things. I love it. We were just having a discussion in my Slack group about female physicians in menopause mm. and how it's like a silent suffering majority <sighs> because like you got to show up, you got to do your work, you got to act like nothing's going on. But hello, you're going through the second puberty. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of that, like all of those things need to be brought into the open. And also we're not a monolith. So we're not experiencing perimenopause or menopause all in the same way at the same time with the same symptoms. But it's so important, especially, you know, I don't know how you do it, like being on your feet and having to see people all the time and and not being able to take some time and space if you're if whatever, you know, whatever's happening with your body. I just I salute all of you who do that every single day. Well, we'll have to come back and talk about that more then. How about that? Yeah. Well, friend, thank you so much. And thank I appreciate you. you coming on Dr. Me First. I appreciate it. And thank you so much. It was honor an honor to be here today. I've heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community 
to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma. They dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass Slack group. That's right. I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some Slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. 